Hi, I'm Leah Wheatholter, owner of Workman Forensics, and this is the Investigation Game Podcast. Welcome to the Investigation Game Podcast. Joining me today is Juliette Laco. She's an attorney in Vancouver, Washington, and she has been an attorney for over 21 years with experience involving complex divorce litigation and high-conflict custody cases. She recently wrote the book, Divorce Wisdom, Smart Strategies for Anyone Contemplating or Experiencing Divorce. Welcome to the podcast, Juliet. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Over the past couple of years, Workman Forensics has been working to try to make finding money and divorce accessible to more people. And so when Tiffany Couch suggested that I reach out to you, I started reading the book and I thought, oh my goodness, I am going to have to give every client in this process a copy of your book because you just get to the point. And I, <laughs> I like that. So why did you write this book or for whom did you write this book? I wrote it for anyone going through or thinking about going through the divorce process. The guiding premise was to provide folks in that situation with a very tangible resource that was simple and straightforward that could act as an anchor during that process. Because divorce, as you probably know or know from your own clients, is really overwhelming and traumatic for many folks. So I just wanted to have something they could literally hang on to that would help walk them through the process, give them some user-friendly information and smart suggestions to provide that kind of additional anchoring or support. Yeah, it's so good. And I noticed that the common theme throughout your book are your recommendations kind of over and over again in different ways. But for people facing divorce to consult a mental health professional. So what are some situations that you've seen in your career that made this such a prevalent theme in your book? Well, as I mentioned in response to the last question, Divorce is really a traumatic experience, and it's life-altering, hands down. Your life changes when you go through a divorce. What you knew before is not what's going to happen later, and I think that people don't always realize or they, they have an idea in their head that they need to be a superhero during the process, that they can be strong, that they don't need to reach out for help, or that they're doing fine, that they have friends or family members and they don't need any additional support from a mental health person. And I, as you know from reading the book, I just really say, even if it's just a check-in, like, this is what's going on with me. Do I need something more or to become acquainted with a mental health professional? So if the situation, if the divorce process gets super stressful, that they already have a resource available that they can go to to help process those emotions. And the emotions, when not processed fully or completely or carefully or with care, they really can have a negative impact on the overall divorce process. So what I've seen in my practice is people that are just unable to either participate in the process, so they bury their heads, they are in a state of denial where they either don't want the divorce or it becomes so stressful that they can't even think things through. And I'm not in a position, even as a lawyer, even when I can do my job, I can't do it when I don't have a client that is available to me to make decisions to provide information, 
or walk alongside me during that process. What happens when I don't have that or when folks are just so stressed out or in that kind of burying their head state is that the process can continue Mm -hmm. and it may not work to their best benefit or in their best interest or their spouse may proceed with what their plan is or what they want out of the process and my client doesn't have a voice or isn't along for the ride to say, hey, wait a minute, I disagree with that or advocate for themselves and that can be really detrimental long term. Yeah, for sure. And not that I'm the attorney in the situation, but just even helping people kind of take the next steps with some of their financial situations, I can't make them do those things that are going to help them fight for themselves. That that has to come from them. And whatever it is holding them back from doing that, I am no therapist and I can't get them through that through that either. Yeah. So that being said, I am curious, how do you handle the conversation when a client begins just to pour out his or her emotions to you? Do you have any type of standard response or where you try to start pointing them in the direction of I'm the attorney, this is, you know, just kind of those boundaries? Yeah, that's a great question because as you probably imagine, I get a lot of folks that come to me that pour out their hearts or oftentimes I am the first person or the first professional that they've told their story to. So maybe their spouse left them and their mom or their sister or their best friend is kind of pushing them to get in to get a consultation with a divorce attorney. So I'm that first person that they are telling their story to, that their spouse left them or that they think their spouse has an addiction issue and they're not sure what to do. So I hear a lot of that. And I think it's really important. My job, even though I'm not a mental health professional or a psychologist, I think it's really important for me to listen to them because I could be that very first person that's hearing their story and they need to feel understood and they need to be treated with care and compassion. But it's a great opportunity for me, especially in that first consultation, to be able to say, okay, well, you're here today to get some advice from me and some guidance, and I'm going to provide that to you. But what other support could you use right now? What other people or professionals could we bring in as part of your team to help you get through that process. So I I do it a little bit with kid gloves because again, I think it's so important when people are sitting in front of you with such raw emotions that you handle them with care and then gently kind of guide them in a direction where they can get some additional support that is more appropriate than what I can provide. Yeah. I love how you said that too, by asking them what other support can we bring to this team? Just once again, empowering them through this process just from the very beginning you're not telling them what to do you're just helping guide them along the way to say i'm here to help but what do you feel like you need and i love coming from that place of empowerment rather than okay you're here i'm going to tell you these 10 steps and this is what you need to do so love that i think when people can expand their minds and think about i have a team of people helping me that mentally or emotionally makes them feel even more supported and less alone in the process. Yeah, so good. In your book, kind of at the beginning, one of the first things you talked about was that divorce is permanent. And just even that decision 
that just because something's happened, it doesn't mean you have to immediately jump to divorce. And then you use the term discernment counseling. I had never heard this term before. And so will you just explain to our audience what this means and how you use this in helping people decide whether they even just, I had never heard anybody say, you need to consider if divorce is actually the right step for you. I feel like everyone I meet, they've already made that decision and we're blazing down the trail. Right. Yeah. I- I think that's true. I think a lot of people sit down in my office and they feel like they have to be there. You know, maybe their spouse had an affair or maybe they don't understand what's going on with their spouse or maybe they just feel really unhappy and, and they think because because of a family member or because of something they've read or, or whatever, they just think that divorce is their next step. So I do like to counsel people and say, you got to be sure, you know, this is a permanent course of action. So it's not something to be taken lightly. And if you are still in that evaluative process of, do I really want this? Or, you know, I still love my spouse, especially if you still, you know, have feelings of care or love for your spouse, then going through that discernment counseling process could be really eye-opening People hear about couples counseling or marriage therapy. Discernment counseling is not either of those. Discernment counseling is a very special type of process that couples embark on where the main goal of that process is to discern or decide whether you are going to stay in the marriage or you're going to divorce. And if you decide that you're going to stay in the marriage, you may be just deciding that we're going to embark on marriage counseling to try and improve our marriage. Or you may be deciding, we've decided we're not going to divorce right now and we're going to devote some time and energy to working on our marriage. And then you embark on that process. So the discernment counseling process is really a kind of a decision making. Are we staying in or are we leaving the marriage? Thank you. I had just never heard of that. And I think when you're talking about discernment counseling in your book, you also just talk about how there are so many things that can actually be overcome. And so we don't have to feel like the next step is for sure divorce. And I just, I like that approach a lot. Once clients get into, all right, we've made the decision, we're going to go through with this divorce. What are some common mistakes that you have seen people going through divorce make on social media? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness gracious, there are so many mistakes. (laughs) And I actually, on my intake form, so the very first form that somebody, when they come into my office, I ask them if they are on social media and what platforms they're using. And oftentimes I will even check out if they have a public profile, I'll go see what they're doing before I even meet with them because I need to get a sense of what are we working with. And I will often tell people similarly, like you may just want to dial it back on social media right now because you never know what could be misconstrued or what could end up in your divorce proceeding that may seem pretty benign to you that that becomes kind of an explosion in your divorce situation. So things I've seen, common mistakes, people posting vacations or new purchases like a new car or, you know, some expensive pair of shoes when in the divorce proceeding, they're representing to the court that money is super tight. So you don't want to portray, which people often do in social media, that they have a great lifestyle and they're doing all these cool things or going to events on vacations and then simultaneously telling a judge that you don't have any money to, to pay support to your spouse or to your children. The other thing I have seen, because people often 
share on social media what's going on in their daily life, whether it's what they had for lunch or, you know, something they're feeling. And so I had a case a number of years ago where the husband was talking about through his YouTube channel and also his Facebook exactly what was happening in the court proceeding, how horrible his wife was and how horrible the judicial officer was. Oh, my. And that comes back to haunt you because, of course, me, I'm going to let in some way, shape or form the judicial officer know (laughs) what the husband is actually saying about him, right? Right. People do use that as kind of a personal journal. You have to be very careful of that. And then the other thing I see is, you know, you're celebrating some special occasion, whether it's a birthday or a football game or whatever it is, and you end up in a photo and you have alcohol around you. Mm. And if you're involved in a custody situation or a parenting plan dispute, the other side can get so much traction out of, oh, I think, you know, I think my spouse or the mother of my children has an alcohol or a drug problem. And here's the evidence of that. Yeah, so much could be taken out of context on social media. I mean, during the divorce process, what elements surprise clients the most? I think number one is the manner in which their spouse, soon to be ex spouse, reacts and responds to things. You enter into a marriage never thinking that you're going to be divorced, at least I don't think most people do. And then you go through a divorce process, and the person that you thought you knew, is acting totally different. And it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around that. Like, I never thought that he or she would treat me so unfairly, or I never thought that they would, you know, try to minimize my time with the kids, or I never thought. Yeah, that, I think, surprises clients the most. And then, secondly, I think it's how long the process can take. When people make the decision to divorce, and if I'm representing the party that's initiating that divorce process, oftentimes I think because they've already reconciled in their minds, I want to be divorced, and they've clicked their brain over to thinking I'm going to be divorced. And when the process takes longer for whatever reasons, uh, it's really hard for them, again, to wrap their brains around, why is this taking so long? Right. I've had several that even went on six years and or or more and uh that that's always shocking we'll be right back to this interview i'm here with rachel organist who is the lead data analyst at workman forensics she's been instrumental in building the data analysis tools for the fine money divorce program my first question for you today is what is fine money divorce Fine Divorce is basically our way of taking the analytical process that we've developed here at Workman through working many divorce cases and converting that process to a format that anyone can use to work through their own divorce. Okay, so how does that work? Essentially what the program is, is a series of webinars, reference materials, and spreadsheets that will help you do the same calculations we do when we're helping our clients sort out their assets. The content is organized into five different modules, but you can mix and match if you only want to use certain parts. So for example, you might just need help getting your documents organized, but you aren't sure you're ready to dive into your financial data, we have a module for that. Or if you'd like to use our data analysis templates, but you think you can follow the included instructions and you don't need the extra step-by-step assistance of a webinar, then that's an option too. Okay, so basically for a user, they don't pay one fee and they have to use everything. They can kind of pick and choose what they need. Exactly. Oh. So my last question is what 
can users expect to get from this program? Working through the process will help users feel confident that they've identified marital assets like bank accounts or real estate that they may be entitled to in their divorce. Basically, you're making sure that you aren't out of the loop on potential marital assets or being taken advantage of due to lack of awareness if maybe you haven't been as involved in your marital finances as you'd like. The process will also help you identify what you know and what you don't know so you can discuss any remaining questions with your attorney. And taking the time to be prepared in that way can really help you make the most efficient use of your attorney's time and that can save you on legal costs. Yeah, it definitely sounds a lot cheaper and a lot more useful for a lot of people. Yeah, you'll also have a much better picture of your finances, which a lot of people find really helpful. Of course. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Rachel. My pleasure. Welcome back to the podcast. So chapter four is such a great chapter, I think, in just preparing clients for all parts of the divorce process. What do you think is an area that people often forget about? Like as far as things that they're going to need to take care of or consider whenever they have to go to divide everything in their divorce? I think people still, even today, I think about half the people that I work with don't have a good grasp on their financial situation or their knowledge of their own assets and debts. I tend to think that people minimize how important it is for they themselves to become familiar with that. You can hire a lawyer or you can hire a financial advisor or you can hire a forensic accountant, whatever that is to help you. But if you lack that fundamental or basic knowledge of this is what we have, this is what we owe, this is what's coming in and out of our bank account each month, then it's going to be super hard for you to make intelligent decisions for yourself in the divorce process, which has long-term or lasting effects in your future. Right. We've been creating this concept of find money and divorce. It started out with, we can help people connect the dots and use data to maybe find hidden assets or fit hidden bank accounts. Just as we were working through this process and trying to just equip people with these resources, instead of just here, Leah, come fix all my problems. You know, really, there's a lot of this that people can participate in. And so we wanted to create more resources. And as we started doing that, we thought, wow, even if we're going to show people this is where you go look to find hidden assets or this is how you look at your bank accounts, we actually need to back that up a little and teach them what a bank statement looks like. So anyway, we've now created this entire process and module one is complete where we just start with, you need to just get organized in your divorce. And these are the documents you're going to look at. And this is what those documents look like. This is what you need to go find. And so it's very granular because you're right. If I can put everything together for a client and I can help prep a marital balance sheet and hand that to an attorney. But if the client doesn't understand where these numbers are coming from, then I mean, I've even had situations where they kind of shoot themselves in the foot because they'll say something and it's like, no, that's not even what the paper says, but it's because they don't know. They don't understand what went into that marital balance sheet. Yeah, that's awesome that you're doing that module because I think that is so critical to people. As a lawyer, I can do so many things for my client and I can guide them through the process, but at the end of the day, the client is the one that has to make the decision on whether they are going to settle what their position is going to be at trial. And so if you lack that fundamental or just basic knowledge, how do how are you able to make a decision that is reasonable, rational, or well thought out? Right. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think it creates a lot of, uh, you even kind of touched on this in your book, but 
client dissatisfaction afterwards because they didn't, you know, okay, well, I just did what my attorney told me to do and now I'm dissatisfied later. But it's yeah. like, oh, but that's why you need to participate in this process and have that fundamental education and knowledge so you can make these decisions for yourself. I noticed in your bio that you're a collaborative practitioner and, and also a mediator. And I have seen a lot of things lately on collaborative divorce. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Sure. Collaborative divorce is a very structured divorce process where the parties agree to resolve their disputes, whatever their disputes are in their divorce, outside of court. And they retain, each party has to be represented by a specially trained lawyer. And that lawyer also agrees that they are not going to use any type of court process to assist their respective clients in the divorce resolution process. And so it's a really solid process because the parties and whoever they're working with, the lawyers, there may be some other experts that they retain to help them through the process, they all are agreeing that they're not going to utilize a court process or threaten to go to court. And they're committed to reaching an agreement that's acceptable to both parties inside that process. I had to just summarize, it's a very structured process with a key tenant that everybody is agreeing that they're not going to use court process or avail themselves of the court to resolve their divorce. The stuff that I've read about it, it seems like if a couple is willing to not just fight over everything, this would just be a great way to resolve it and move on with their lives. I think so. In collaborative divorce, it's interesting because you would think even in situations that present themselves as really high conflict or perhaps there's a suspicion of hidden assets or funny business with money, for lack of a better phrase, but the collaborative process is a very transparent process. So the parties agree that they're going to freely exchange information, that they're not going to need to go through a formal discovery process. And whatever we need to do in order to make sure that information and documentation is exchanged back and forth, we do it. And if there is the concern about a hidden asset, then we are agreeing as a team that we're going to hire a forensic accountant or that we are going to get a business appraiser to give us some information about an asset or whatever. We all do it as a team approach, but it's very transparent. So it can, even in situations that may present themselves as very high conflict, high conflict or a lack of trust, it can actually help us get over that hurdle without having to litigate. Oh yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. I like that a lot. So when do you think it's valuable to the client to consider hiring a forensic accountant or even a private investigator? Yeah, that's a great question. I think two things, at least for a forensic accountant. One is that somebody comes in and they have a concern that their spouse is hiding money. And two, that I have some reasonable evidence from my perspective, that there could be something going on. So maybe at you know, multiple bank accounts and you can see transactions or transfers going in and out, but you don't have the information on the other bank accounts where the money's being transferred. That would be some reasonable evidence like, hmm, maybe. Let's get a forensic accountant involved and try and explore that a little bit further as a due diligence measure. Maybe 
doing that at the end, we do, you know, we go through that process. We do the, as I call it, due diligence and the forensic account comes back and says, we've tied everything down. There's no hidden assets. So maybe the reverse is true, but it's a, it's a good process. So one, again, concerned that a spouse is hiding money and I have some reasonable evidence to think, yeah, maybe. For a private investigator, I think it could be a number of things. And sometimes where I practice in Washington state, we're a no-fault divorce state which means you don't have to have a reason to get divorced in a number of states or no fault divorce state, but you don't have to have a reason to want to be divorced. You don't have to allege that somebody cheated on you or that they have a gambling problem. It's just if you want a divorce, you can get one. But I do find that when folks feel like their spouse is having an affair or they can't line up why their spouse wants to leave the marriage, and they might have some evidence of excessive spending or huge cash withdrawals, that having a private investigator try to carry that out and confirm that piece of information is helpful to the process. It may not be relevant to the process because as I said, you know, where I practice, you don't have to have a reason to be divorced, but knowing or having confirmation that their spouse has had an affair or that they do have a gambling problem can be helpful to my client in just, again, reconciling everything in their mind and helping them get some support or emotionally heal from that so that we can actually move forward in the divorce process. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Similarly, in Oklahoma, the courts don't care if you have a reason or not, you know, if your spouse was cheating. But I have seen where the spouse just wants to know why are they their weird behaviors. And so a private investigator is helpful in just helping that client kind of come to terms with that. Yeah, I think so. Similarly, in Oklahoma, the courts don't care if you have a reason or not, you know, if your spouse was cheating. But I have seen where the spouse just wants to know why are they their weird behaviors. And so a private investigator is helpful in just helping that client kind of come to terms with that. We do have a lot of listeners who are forensic accountants and investigators. So as an attorney, what do you find helpful about working with a forensic accountant or expert? I think on my end, I very much like a team approach. So having somebody else like a forensic accountant or another expert to assist in representing my client, providing as much information to the client so that the client can make intelligent, knowing decisions about where the case is going or what they want to settle for or what position they want to take at trial is hugely helpful. And on on my end in particular, because I am not an expert in accounting, forensics, business appraisal, as a practice or a, a best practice for me, it's exercising due diligence and making sure that my client is represented the best way possible. Sure. On the other side of the coin, I guess, what are things experts have done or that they tend to do that interfere with your work? Good question. I've worked with a lot of different types of experts and professionals, and for the most part, I can only think of maybe a few situations where I've become frustrated with the expert that's involved. And I think it really comes down to when those frustrations arise, it's when you don't stay in your own lane. The same is true for me. I'm not going to, you know, if I have a psychologist helping in a case and they're providing recommendations about a visitation or a parenting plan, if I start offering information on what I think is reasonable, I'm not staying in my lane. My lane is 
I am the lawyer. So I think when you try to cross the lane, that's when it can become frustrating. And I you know, I recently had an experience where I had a mental health professional involved that was providing some information about a parenting plan that was offering the parties and working with the both parties kind of cooperatively, but started offering information or opinions about what could happen legally. And the impact of that was pretty polarizing to both parties. And then it caused one of the parties to lose confidence in that expert. Yeah. And typically the expert on a case, exactly what you're saying. If I'm giving advice on this is where the money came from and this is where the money went, then maybe the attorney on the case says, well, this is actually where it went. I mean, it's like, okay, but I'm the expert on this. So yeah, if everybody just plays to their strengths, it's beautiful. But whenever those lines get crossed, I agree. It does not result in the best situation or more mess than it should have ever should have ever happened. But okay, so we love sharing case stories on this podcast. And so do you have a story you can share about a spouse hiding money and your team successfully finding that money? I do. I have a few of them, but the one I'll share, several years ago, I was representing a woman and her husband had a very successful medical practice. She did not have a lot of information about how that medical practice worked. We realized through doing some discovery that the medical practice actually had several business entities under it and different aspects of the medical practice were associated with each business entity. Coupled with that, there were, you know, a dozen or more bank accounts at probably half a dozen financial institutions and you could see on the bank statements all of the different transactions, you know, hundreds of just regular transactions, receipts coming in, but also transfers, transfers between accounts, transfers out of accounts. And again, that's not my area of expertise. I can call it when I see it like, ah, this is weird. This, this doesn't look right. But then retaining a forensic accountant to really do the analysis on that, to try and trail or follow through on each of those transfers, what we ended up realizing is that some of those accounts were only the primary account and that there were secondary savings or money market accounts behind each of those that the transfers, a lot of the transfers were going into. And then you would see, you know, kind of a pots of money being stashed in those other accounts that weren't readily accessible on the bank statement itself. That was super helpful. Just kind of tracing all the money and where it was going and realizing, oh, you know, there are probably what we thought, you know, was a dozen accounts is really two dozen accounts in reality. And similarly, you know, the reverse is true too. I have had situations where we've hired the forensic accountant because it seemed like there was some funny money business going on and my client had a big concern about hidden assets and the forensic accountant was able, and I'm thinking of one in particular, the forensic accountant was able to demonstrate that the money wasn't missing, that it was all right here. And in the case that I'm thinking about in particular, the extreme concern that my client had as we went through that process, it turned out that she was actually experiencing a mental health issue, like early onset dementia. So the paranoia was more pronounced. And I didn't realize that at first, but going through using a forensic accountant and then getting to know my client a little bit better and then having her connect with a professional, mental health professional and medical professional, we realized, okay, 
this is what's actually going on. (laughs) That there isn't hidden money, but there's another concern that needs to be addressed. Most of the cases I've been involved with, we found something that the client didn't know about before, but I've had a couple where it was more like a due diligence. So it didn't identify maybe what yours did in that situation, but it just helped the client just feel better that everything she knew about was all there was. And Uh, just kind of give her that peace of mind. Well, before we close out, I wondered if maybe you'd share with our listeners some ways that they can connect with you, maybe on LinkedIn or Facebook. Sure. Any of those ways are great. So my name, Juliet Laco, that's, you can find me on Instagram that way, Facebook, if you just Juliet Laco or Divorce Wisdom, you can find me either way on Facebook. Through my website, julietlaco.com, there's a link that you can send emails to me and I'm also available on LinkedIn. So just my name and search on any of those platforms and you can find me. Wonderful. And we'll put it in the show notes as well. Juliet Laco is the author of Divorce Wisdom, Smart Strategies for Anyone Contemplating or Experiencing Divorce, which is available on Amazon. Thank you, Juliet, for joining me today. Thanks so much, Leah. I appreciate it. The Investigation Game Podcast is a production of Workman Forensics. For more information about any of the topics that we talk about on the podcast, please visit workmanforensics.com. And to register for our Be a Data Sleuth seminars, visit BeADataSleuth.com. You can also connect with us on any of the social media platforms by searching Workman Forensics. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, please feel free to email us at podcast at workmanforensics.com. Thanks for listening.